all of you. Glad that you made it uh, either here or that you've tuned in this morning. Thr uh, proud of you for doing that and uh, kind of ending 2017 right and beginning 2018 right. The long-awaited conclusion uh, to this year and this message series has finally arrived. It's, uh, it's the last day of 2017. If you've been around Southwoods for the last uh, several months, you know that we've been in a series entitled Help Me Understand Holiness. Some of you thought it ended at Christmas. It sort of did, but not really, because today is the real uh, conclusion to this series. If you've been uh, watching any of the year in review segments on the news or on social media, any of you, any of you been watching that yet? Three of you. Okay. Uh, I, I'm sure that you'll be tuning in if you haven't been already. But if you watch any of that stuff and spend any time reflecting on the past year, you know that our nation, our world desperately needs a wave of holiness, a fresh wave of holiness to sweep over. We all need it, but we as a nation, our world really, really, really needs it. And I was reflecting on that as I saw one of these year in review articles uh, in the Miami Herald, this is a cartoon I want to share with you from the Miami Herald columnist and comedian Dave Barry. Some of you know Dave Barry. I enjoy some of his stuff. Uh, sarcastic, witty, um, but anyway, edgy sometimes. But uh, it, th this cartoon captures a lot of the mayhem, a lot of the madness that's been 2017. And Dave's summary title for his uh, year in review piece was, was this. Did that really just happen? That was, that was kind of the title that he gives in his, uh, in his uh, piece. Here's a brief excerpt. I'm going to just share a couple, of, a couple of paragraphs with you. Dave writes, 2017 was a year so surreal, so densely populated with strange and alarming events that you have to seriously consider the possibility that somebody, and when we say somebody, we really mean Russia, was probably putting LSD in our water supply. This is what he writes says a bizarre event would occur and it would be all over the news, but before we could wrap our minds around it, another bizarre event would occur and then another and another coming at us faster and faster, battering the nation with a Category 5 weirdness hurricane that left us hunkering down, clinging to our sanity, no longer certain what was real. Is that a, that's a long sentence if you're an English major. Then he details, as you read on in, uh, in his piece, uh, just in humorous and uh, kind of a satire way, um, and, and some of it just sad and truthful, uh, it details the year's events, most of which, if you read the article, you're going to remember. But the truth about us is that there's so many things that have come at us. It's like a blizzard of things, and so we, we only remember it in review. It's like we just, to conjure it like in this moment, we wouldn't. So he, he kind of goes through those things and then he concludes this way saying, finally, this nightmarish year, which by any standard of decency should have been canceled months ago, draws to a close. The American people, wearied by the endless scandals and the relentless toxic spew of partisan political viciousness, turn away from 2017 in disgust and look hopefully toward the new year, which by all indications will be calmer and saner. We, of course, are joking, he says. <laughs> by all indications, the nation is going to spend 2018 the same way it spent 2017, namely obsessing spitefully over 2016. So the best we can do is enjoy the brief reprieve offered by the holidays. 
It's an interesting article. If you like humor like that, if you like to be sarcastically offended regardless of your political persuasion, you will enjoy. He's an equal opportunity offender. If you read his his article, he offends everybody, and it's, it's quite funny. But here's the point. You know, the events of this year, if you read some of these year in review things, the events of this year alone ought to prompt all of us to wonder how on earth can we live lives of holiness? How do we do that? How do we succeed at that in a world where it sure looks like a whole lot of people don't care? What's it going to take for you and me to be men and women of holiness, godliness, goodness, virtue to the core of our being, for our children to become those kind of people? In a world where a whole lot of other values are held up as virtues, and we would look at those and say, I don't think Jesus calls that a virtue. How do, you, how do you be holy in that kind of environment? Thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave this to uh, our imagination or chance. He tells us how to do that. In the Bible, he reveals what a holy life and a holy year, for that matter, rises or falls on. And in a word, it rises or falls on this word, discernment. In a world where it seems like things are becoming unhinged progressively, Discernment is key. It's so, so important. And we're going to close this series with this this topic as we look at this. I've always liked what Charles Spurgeon's definition of discernment was. This is it on the screen. He basically wrote one time, he said, Discernment is not simply a matter of telling the difference between what is right and wrong. Rather, it is the difference between right and almost right. Do you track with that? It's not, it's not just a distinction between right and wrong. In fact, what you find is that that's easy. The problem where we all get in difficulty is it's the difference between right and almost right. It, it's NASA's proverbial issue. You know, you, you launch a rocket you know, a, from a, a space pad, you know, a launch pad, and it's one degree off its mark. And what happens? The further it goes, the further it goes. It, it, before long, it is miles and tens of thousands sometimes hundreds of thousands of miles away from its appointed destination. It, life is very much the same. It's, it, discernment is all about not just what's right, but what's almost right and trying to correct that in our lives and in the world in which we live. It's, it's a critically important component in every facet of life, particularly spiritual discernment. It's so critical, so critical. I want you to think about the role that spiritual discernment plays in your life. Just think about your spiritual life. Some of us define our spiritual life as, you know, this part of us that comes on a Sunday morning. We think of ourselves as really spiritual because we're on New Year's Eve day, okay? So we're like, we're the elite forces of the spiritual world is how some would think of this. But the fact is, your spiritual life affects everything about you and me. It affects us. It affects our relationships. It affects our health. It affects our resources. Not just what we have sometimes, but what we do with what we have. Our spiritual life affects our attitudes, our behaviors, our values and convictions. Our spiritual life, in most instances, if you, if you define it by biblical standards, defines what is worth dying for. Which defines what is worth living for. 
If you know what's worth dying for, you don't have a clue why to live. You really don't. Your spiritual life affects everything about you. Which is why when you read scripture, when you look at the words of Jesus, he so focuses in on the spiritual life. It's not that he doesn't understand finances. It's not that he doesn't understand economics and all kinds of business practices and other things. I mean, he's best practice of everything. That's Jesus. He just understands that the foundation, the footings, the moorings of of everybody's life is the spiritual life. And so discernment in that portion of our lives is of the most critical nature. And so what we're going to do this morning is learn from him because every follower of God must grow in spiritual discernment if we're going to grow in holiness, if we're going to be godly like he is godly and good. And that's what he wants us to do. If you have your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus in Scripture tells us how to grow in discernment. This is a rich passage of Scripture. Way more things that he hits on here than we're going to have time to hit on this morning. Though, I think by the time we're done, if you listen carefully, I think you'll be surprised how much that he brings out here that we're able to hit on. Simply because what he's really talking about here is how, how to be discerning. How to be spiritually discerning. And if we get this, uh, it'll make a huge difference in our lives in 2018 and, and beyond. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start at verse 13. Uh, follow along with me in your Bible or on the one on the screen. Jesus is speaking here. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many that choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. He says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit and... A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire, Jesus says. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions, Jesus says. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And he concludes by saying, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You know, in these verses, Jesus tells us a lot, but he tells us specifically how to become more discerning about those who influence us spiritually. How to become more discerning. 
And for the next few minutes, we're going to listen to Jesus because he offers at least three words of advice to all of us who wish to grow in spiritual discernment, who, who cherish holiness and want to embrace it like he's called us to, like you were made for. He gives us three words of advice to grow in discernment, grow in holiness. First word of advice is this. Choose your spiritual path carefully. That's really the first word of advice that he gives us here in the text. Choose your spiritual path carefully. Look at verses 13 and 14 one more time. Listen carefully to the language that Jesus uses. He says, really succinctly, he says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. And its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow. And the road is difficult. And only a few ever find it. I want you to think with me for a moment. Does it sound to you like Jesus is saying, all spiritual paths lead to heaven? Does it sound like that's what he's saying? Like pick your path. That person will pick their path. And that person will pick their path. And... And, you know, even though one's headed toward St. Louis and the other's headed toward Denver, you're all going to end up in Chicago. Is that, is that what he's saying? Is, is, of course not. I mean, that is not what, hear what I'm saying. That is not what Jesus is saying. This is the same person who's famous for saying in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, he says. John 14, 6. He's just saying that that not all spiritual paths are equal. Why is that important? If you and I are going to be spiritually discerning, we need to understand that there are those in our world who think differently. They're not on the same plane, not on par with Jesus. But they think differently. They contradict his view. You're going to hear them in college classrooms. You're going to hear them in your workplace. You're going, to be, you're going to hear this from political people. You're going to hear this from spiritual leaders in some instances who, who are spiritual but not spiritual. This, this book is not held in the high regard that, that Jesus holds it in. I want you to notice carefully the characteristics of God's path. Look at verse 14 is where these really show up. The gateway to life is very narrow. It's difficult. It's a difficult path. Relatively few walk that path. It's unpopular. It's it's not the path that all the cool kids want to be on, is what he's saying here. Because it's not easy. It's not convenient. You have to acknowledge that you're not always in control, but God is. Not everybody wants to do that. It involves, with the Holy Spirit's help, reaching for a level of character and goodness that is not natural to you or me, not reflexive to us. Some of you know that I I love the mountains and so forth. And um, when I think of this passage, I always think of uh, some of the off-road things that I've had opportunity to do a, a few times over the years. A place, Animus Forks, is a ghost town in Colorado. A few of you have been there. And uh, <clears throat> part of why I highlight, it's beautiful. I mean, it's, this is one of the shots from the place. It's, it's just beautiful location. It's 11,600 feet. They get about 400 inches of snow. 
So it has a harsh winter, uh, you might say. Um, so you take our cold, add 400 inches of snow, and eh, you pretty much got animus forks right now, probably. Uh, to get there, you know, it's not a four-lane highway to get here. It is a narrow, winding, dirt, muddy road, uh, rocky. You, you got to have a high-clearance vehicle to get there. Um, it, you know, the path that we took, when uh, I don't know if you can see it very well, but it's up on the hillside up there, up above the roof line, just a little bit. It kind of cuts across the hillside there. It's very narrow, and uh, when we were on our way there, we it's one it's it's kind of one lane, okay, kind of one way. Uh, but the problem is you have other vehicles coming the other way, and you meet them at these junctures along the way. And there's like very it's a 60 degree drop here, and uh, that that's fine if you're a mountain goat. It's bad for you or me. And you know this is the path to get there, and and the consequence of the difficulty of getting here is what. There aren't a whole lot of people get here, right? There's a 360-degree panoramic, beautiful view. It is spectacular. The air is crisp. I mean, it's their wildlife. There's just it's a beautiful spot, but it goes, relatively speaking, unseen. Jesus is making the same point in the text. He's not saying it's not. A, he's not saying it's an undesirable road to travel. He's not saying that, the, the, the road to God's kingdom. He's just saying it's, it's narrow. It's difficult. Few want to take it. Few want to take it. Then he goes on and he makes kind of this spiritual principle that sort of flows out of this that I just want to highlight for you real quick. It's, it's embedded in verses 13 and 14, and it's this fact if everyone is doing something, think about it, if everyone is doing something, that doesn't necessarily mean that what they're doing is right. It's not proof. My mother, you know, I love my mom, Sar, a week ago, or last week, and she used to say, if everybody jumps off a bridge, are you going to jump off a bridge? She was like sarcastic and sort of insulting me, you know, my intelligence with that. And it, it's, it's almost like that, that idea flows out of this passage. It's the highway to hell is an 18-lane superhighway. The path to righteousness, holiness, goodness is narrow. So choose your spiritual path carefully. Be discerning about that. It's key. It's key to discernment, to holiness. Which brings us to a second word of advice offered by Jesus to help us grow in discernment and holiness that shows up in this passage. That is, you and I must choose our teachers carefully. Our teachers, our spiritual leaders, we've got to choose them very carefully. Look again at verses 15 to 23. Jesus sort of goes through this whole fruit analysis here. And notice what he says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. 
That is by the way they act. So right away, he's, he's not talking about like they've got, like they carry baskets of fruit or something. They, they tell you. No, he's a metaphor. He's talking about their actions are the fruit of a life. That's what he's saying. He goes on. He start, keeps illustrating. He says, can you pick grapes from thorn bushes? Figs from thistles? Of course not is the answer. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people, what's he say? By their actions. By their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me, and he illustrates again. It's like he's saying, for example, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, or perform any miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Jesus is saying an immense amount here, but he's highlighting some of the fruit, some of the characteristics of a dangerous teacher, a dangerous leader. And here's the thing. They may not know that they're dangerous, but they are. They are, Jesus is saying. They, what they do is they disguise themselves. This is, this is how you can recognize. They disguise the real them. And how did they do that most of the time? With their words. Smooth words, promises, assurances, opportunities that are out there for you. They just happen to be exactly what you want to do. That's, that's how they do this. He goes on and talks about another way you can identify them. That's what they do. That's one of their characteristics is just the, the smooth words. In fact, Jesus even says they do that to him. Lord, Lord. They're just crying out to him with words, acknowledging his deity, acknowledging his greatness, his lordship. But the truth of the matter is their lives, they don't really show that. Their words disguise corrupt fruit and actions. Look at verse 20 one more time. Because Jesus says, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. This is what Jesus wants us to understand. Don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. Watch how they live. Just to drive that point home, I got a picture here of some strawberries. Uh, maybe you got some from the holidays sitting around that look like this. Hope not. But... Uh, just can't wait to eat those, right? Just can't wait to dig in, right? Now, we, we know better, right? You, you look at those strawberries and you recognize immediately that there's a problem. Because the mold that's begun to grow betrays the real condition of the heart of the fruit, right? This is what it is. In a similar way, Jesus is just saying, he's saying that the actions that people live out, that you and I live out, betray what's really going on in here. Now, this is simultaneously personally frightening for us sometimes. But when it comes to discernment, 
It should be very enlightening. It's part of why um, politics is some of what a disillusioning thing for many of us. Why? Because politics in our political system of things is all about promises. It's all about words. And you wonder, they're telling me this, but are they going to do that? Right? Are they going to cut my taxes? Are they going to change this problem? Are they going to solve it? And what do we do? We get weary of the rhetoric, right? Weary of the rhetoric. And it's gotten worse in our generation because the media parrots it 24-7 and actually adds to it. I mean, we have stuff that just goes on constantly. Words, 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 words. What's Jesus saying about What's he say about this? He says, don't get distracted by the words. Look at their actions. What do they do? What do we do? This is one of the keys to finding and identifying a dangerous teacher, a dangerous leader. It's interesting to me in the text, Jesus even makes a point that apparently in verse 22, they may have ministered in the name of Jesus, may have even performed miracles in the name of Jesus. I find it shocking, may have even cast out demons in the name of Jesus. On some level, that's more about words, apparently, than action. Because you think about it, really, it's Jesus' sacrifice. It's his work on the cross that sets somebody who's in bondage free. It's, it's not the person through whom the words were spoken. It, it, it is still about the heart. It's about actions. You see, the heart through actions is the only way you can see that. And look at verse 23, because apparently you can have some good fruit, and Jesus still say to you, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Honestly, some of us read those words, and that's the most traumatic part of the whole passage for us. It's like we almost don't hear anything else because we hear those words and we're so terrified of hearing that kind of language from Jesus that, that we just can't even hardly analyze and process the rest of it. But let me just try to summarize this for you. Here's, a lot of, here's, here's what Jesus is really saying when it comes to discernment of people who are teachers and spiritual leaders. He's saying, watch out for anyone who has religion without a relationship with Jesus. Think carefully about what I just said. Watch out for anybody who has religion but not a relationship with Jesus. Now, where am I getting that idea from? Look at what Jesus' response was. He says in verse 23, Get away from me. Why? I never knew you. It's the first thing. I never knew you. There's no relationship. There's no, there's no relational connection there between Jesus and them. And here's the thing. It, Jesus didn't know them. And the truth is, he didn't know them because they didn't really reciprocate the relationship. So watch out for anyone who has religion without a relationship with Jesus. And, and some of your most dangerous people out there are people like that. Second thing he's really saying, watch out for anyone who has a disrespectful view of God's word, God's teachings, God's laws. God's ways. 
Because those people don't care about the Ten Commandments. They don't care about loving their neighbor as themselves. They don't care about loving the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They don't care, uh, fill in the blank, about what this book has to say. They've sort of concocted a religion of their own making when the fact of the matter is religion without a relationship with the one who wrote all of this is not where any of us wants to be. About teachers like this, Jesus' counsel is real succinct. If you look at the beginning of verse 15, he just says, beware. Some translations say, be on guard. Some say, watch out for. The spirit of it is avoid. That kind of person. Observe the fruit of their lives. Don't just listen to the words from their lips. It's just that old adage, actions speak louder than words. You've heard that saying. This is really part of that saying comes from. Is, is it comes, it's, a, it's a biblical idea. Which brings us to a third word of advice for how to become more discerning and more holy. It shows up really here in our text. And, and that is, if we want to become more discerning and more holy, I mean, we need to choose Jesus as our Lord, our teacher, our spiritual leader. We need to put him first place. I mean, we need... I think of it this, sometimes this way. You know, you can, you can spell the word teacher with a lowercase t in your life. And it's like, you know, this person's a teacher, this person's a teacher, this person's a teacher, this person. But then there's a capital T teacher. And then you have the all caps teacher. All caps. All caps, bold, italic, underlined, exclamation point. Enlarge the font. This kind of teacher, that is who we need to make Jesus in our lives. It's not that you don't hear anything anybody else says. It's just that everything that everybody else says is reflected against what the teacher, the Lord, Jesus says. This is, this is the foundational key to all discernment. And here's part of where we get hung up sometimes is, is we just think, we think Jesus is spiritual and I'm glad he died on a cross and all of that. And we just go, but then I got to go to work and I got I to gotta, I gotta do whatever I do all day long. And we just wonder to ourselves, but, you know, Jesus, he's interested in this other spiritual stuff in my life. He's, no, 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 no. If Jesus is smart enough to create the universe, if he's smart enough to make you, he is smart enough to know everything there is to know about what any of us does. He understands stock trading. He understands all business dynamics, how to hire people, how to fire people. He understands relational dynamics. He understands sales. He understands, pick your, pick your category. He, uh, he understands international business. He's under, he has forgotten more than we've ever known collectively, cumulatively in our whole lives, all of us. He is brilliant. And until you and I come to the place that we recognize that he is not just a teacher, but he is the supreme, brilliant, good, godly, all-knowing teacher. 
we're sort of a captive of what we believe, which is that he's got some good advice, but so does Dr. Laura, and so does this person, and so does that person, and we kind of put him in this pool of slop that is our culture, And what you've got to understand is Jesus is saying, if you want to choose the path of holiness, if you want to be discerning, you need a better teacher. And Jesus, who is humble, doesn't even come out and say directly, choose me. What's he do? He illustrates. He's not a megalomaniac here. Look at verse 24 and 27, how Jesus even makes this point in a gentle way, not, wor- not wanting to crush us or insult us or guilt us. In his, he, he's so gentle about things, he, but he does illustrate, and he illustrates in graphic terms in hopes that we'll get the point. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, what are they? Wise, they're wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. You think of the three little pigs, you know, they're trying to, the wolf that comes and wants to knock the house down. It's kind of saying that that the house stands. Why? Because it's built on bedrock. Built on bedrock. Verse 26. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. I can't, I can't read this without thinking of islands that are being built in Middle Eastern oceans. Whole islands of sand and palatial structures and skyscrapers built on it right now. And What's going to happen with a cyclone that comes through there. You don't have to be a meteorologist or a geophysicist. You don't have to be terribly intelligent. Jesus just makes the point. Jesus didn't even, He just says when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, what's going to happen? It will collapse with a mighty crash and all in proximity to it are going to be injured as well. Jesus is just saying If you don't want to be deceived or destroyed by life's false teachers, by life's deceptions, by life's hardships, by enticements of our world, if you truly want to be discerning, if you want to become holy regardless of what anybody else is doing, he's saying, choose me. Choose me as your Lord. Choose me as your teacher. I won't steer you wrong. That's what Jesus is saying. So as we end 2017 and begin a new year, I think we're wise if we ask the question, who's influencing our lives right now? Who's influencing your life spiritually? Who's influencing your life professionally, you know, in your work environment? Some of the skills that you employ to generate a livelihood. Who's influencing you in those areas? Who's influencing you emotionally? Who's influencing your marriage, your parenting? Who's influencing your entertainment choices? I mean, who, whose books are you reading? 
What are you thinking about? It's a, a pivotal question. What path are they leading you down? What promises are they making to you that right now you're listening to them and they seem really good? Maybe you need to step back and just say, what promises are they making? What's the fruit of their lives? Is it good fruit? Are they the kind of person that you want to become? Is the fruit of their life obedience to Jesus' teachings? I'm not saying that they're perfect. What I'm saying is that they're... Hear this. They're safe to follow because they're fo- you can follow them to the extent that they're following Jesus. This is how you do this. Follow me to the extent that I'm following Jesus. To the extent that I'm teaching this. To the extent that I'm trying to live this. And we're all going to fall short of this. And every teacher out there who represents Jesus in any way is going to fall short. But here's the thing. What do they do when they fall short? Is there repentance? Is there humility? Is there acknowledgement that... I can do better with God's help. And there's seeking Jesus for empowerment, for help. This is the path to discernment. It's the path to growing in holiness, living and sustaining a holy life for a year, for a lifetime depends on this kind of thing. Because the issue is not just what's true or false, but what's almost true that we're hearing that we begin to build our lives on we've got to have discernment you got to have the right teachers for that to happen so as we begin a new year I just want to invite you to make Jesus your guide your savior your source for truth your source for wisdom discernment Make his life and character the pursuit of your life and your character. You will never, ever regret that. You'll never regret that. And on Judgment Day, you will not hear, get away from me, you who broke my laws. You're not going to hear that. What are you going to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. This is what you're going to hear. It'll be a joy-filled moment and a moment in which you look back and say, you know, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your shed blood and your sacrifice for me. Thank you for being my guide, my friend, my savior. As we wrap up 2017, I want us to spend a few moments praying together as as I think of this time, you know, only... This day only rolls around on a Sunday once in a while, and uh, it just seemed fitting to me that we spend a few moments, instead of having a normal closing prayer where we stand and pray, I just want to lead us in a brief guided prayer where right where you're seated, um, I'm going to mention a few things. I'm going to pray to begin and then uh, invite you to pray through a few topics. I'll hit a couple of topics, and I just, as I hit a topic, just with your head bowed, your eyes closed, just take a few moments to pray about the thing that I mentioned. And then as we come to the close, I'll wrap it up. And when I'm done, 
When I say amen, we'll be done for the day and be happy to pray for you specifically or personally about anything that you need. But this is how we're going to close today, okay? We're going to close with uh, kind of this guided prayer time. And my invitation to you is to just pour your heart into this prayer because here's the thing. Jesus hears every prayer. I don't know how he does it. Don't get hung up on that. He does. And he cares about things more deeply than you and I do because he's even more fully invested than we are. And so the invitation really is for you this morning just to lift to him the new year that's before us and some of these categories of things that we need to be praying about, okay? My hope is you'll remember some of these categories and just make them a part as they come to mind over the next 24, 48 hours or in the coming year. Just pray about these things because they're things that God cares deeply about. So let's bow our heads together, okay? Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that you hear our prayers, that you know our needs before we ask And yet, because you are humble and you want to do life with us, you invite us to ask. Often you even wait to respond until we ask. And so because you've taught us to ask, we might receive to seek you and we can find. And if we knock, the door will be open. You've taught us these things. This morning, we just want to spend a few moments asking as we we close one year, that's been a, a year of wackiness in our culture and begin a new year. So would you hear our prayers, every one of us, and would you speak to us as we pray in a way that would help us to know that you're intimately involved with us in this moment because, Lord Jesus, of all things, we want to be known by you and we want to know you. So meet us in these moments, if you would. I want to invite you to begin lifting a prayer of thanks and praise to God, everybody. Okay, just lift a prayer of thanks and praise to God. If you're unsure specifically, just thank him for his patience, for his grace, for his sacrifice, for whatever the Spirit of God brings to your mind along that way. Maybe it's something specific that's happened in your life recently. But just thank him, praise him for a moment. I want to ask you to spend a moment just confessing any shortcomings that have maybe held you captive during 2017 what it might be. The Spirit of God brings something to your mind, just something you need to confess to Him. Take this moment just to express it to Him, to apologize, to invite His presence, His power, His cleansing. God, give us the strength to overcome. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Change our minds, change our lives, change our desires, our wants. Cleanse them. Thank you that you're a forgiving God. While we were yet sinners, 
you chose us and died for us, Lord Jesus. Grateful. Take a moment, pray for your family. Let's pray, lift them up. Pray your vision for them for 2018. What do you dream of happening in the lives of your children, in the lives of your spouse, in the lives of your parents or extended family members? Just take a moment to lean into that. Pray what you would dream of happening in their lives in the coming year. Take a few minutes to lift up Southwoods as a church. Let's pray about things like our, uh, you just for growth, pray for people to come to faith in Jesus here. Pray for the extension of our ministries all around the world, our, our ministry partners. Pray for them. Pray for, pray for financial strength and growth. And pray for the health and well-being of families at this place. have some spiritually lost and wandering people who are part of our lives. Maybe we work with them. Maybe we live near them. Maybe they're connected to our kids in some way or through the school or whatever. Just want you to pray a few moments for those people. Use their names in your prayer before God. Just pray for them specifically. That they might come to know Jesus this year. He might use you even somehow to help with that. ministry partners as a church I just want you to lift up just think of the ones that come to your mind maybe touched you in some way or just lift them up in this moment pray for your vision for them God's vision for them for 2018 just pray pray for the resourcing him to resource them 
grant them success in all that they do. began with a sort of a political, spiritual cartoon thing on the, the screen of our nation. Just pray for our nation's spiritual health. Pray for economic well-being. Pray for leadership. Pray for protection. And as you're praying, I just want to remind you of what this passage says. First Timothy 2, 2 says, or 2, 1 and 2 says, I urge you, to pray for all people, ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. And then it says, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. Why? And it even answers, it says, so we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. We need to pray for our nation, for its leadership, for God's provision and protection for us. Spend a few moments doing that. Father, we thank you for new beginnings. We thank you that 2018 represents a new year, a new morning, if you will, for us, for our families, for our church, for our nation, for the world in which we live. Lord, we just want in all things, you to be exalted. We want your kingdom to come and your will to be done here on earth just as it is in the heavens. How we long for that. How we long for the day when, when everyone with humble spirit would long to walk the straight and narrow way that leads to life. God, how we long for those who or on a highway headed somewhere else to come to recognize that they don't want to wake up someday where that's going. God, I pray that you would help them to awaken. Help us to be a part of that awakening process. That they and our world might be a better, better place, have a better destiny. 
We ask that you would deliver us from evil, Lord. We just think of the world in which we live and we see it every day we turn on the news. We recognize that there are those in our culture who, because they see it day after day, think, oh, this is becoming normative and I I should behave that way because they're they're like a wave out on the sea tossed around by every wind and wave of ideas and doctrines and teaching. They're not anchored to you. Help us to not be one of those people, Lord. Help us to be rooted and anchored to you. Our foundation, our life, our source of hope. Would you bless us in 2018, O God, as we pursue you as we pursue your discernment and understanding, as we seek to live holy lives, as we seek your will for us and our world to be done. God, we're so grateful that you hear our prayers. In these moments, we just acknowledge one last time today our great gratitude that though we are sinners, you came to save us, Lord Jesus. Maybe this morning we just need to look heavenward and just say, Lord Jesus, fill me, cleanse me, make me yours. What a way to start the new year. Not just a new year, but a new beginning, a new birth. Lord Jesus, you know the hearts of every person within the sound of my voice. You know those who are looking heavenward and just asking you for you to fill them, to refresh them, make them yours. Lord, we don't want to just know about you. We want to know you. Help us to grow in that way this coming year. We know that's your will. It's expressly stated multiple times in Scripture draw near to us and we'll draw near to you. God, as we uh, head out today, pray that you'll help us to reflect on these things and to just kind of allow the, the season of prayer to just kind of permeate the rest of this day and tomorrow and the new year. And we'll give you credit for everything good that happens. This is our prayer and we lift it together in the name of Jesus precious and powerful name of Jesus. And everybody agreed with me and said, amen, amen. Happy New Year.